Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Okay. Uh, Children, you can't come to the front because you shouldn't be separated from your parents. But if you can't see properly, feel free to stand on your chair or use mummy or daddy as like a sort of, uh, you know, like a booster seat. Um, That'll be fine. Um, We have, and also, actually, it's worth saying, kids, this is longer than you're used to. Okay, shorter probably than some of the grown-ups are used to. Um, It's okay if you don't get it all, and it's okay if you lose the track a little way through. That's fine. Um, Listen to as much as you can. Um, Have you ever, any of you, all of the ages, been reading a story, and it's been going so well, but then the author does something you don't like, and it goes wrong, and you're so cross? And Numbers is a little bit like that. We've been reading Numbers, uh, and it's part of this group of books at the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to go through the whole story so far, just so you get the disappointment. Okay, so first of all, God makes the world, and it's wonderful, but then what do people do? Ah! What do people do? Oh, they break it, don't they? And do you know what? Death comes into the world through sin. Okay, and that's very sad, isn't it? Okay, but God provides a way out. There is a hope that it will not always be this way. But the world seems to get worse and worse and spirals round and round, like down the plug hole. And in the end, the only thought of man's hearts all the time is only wickedness. And God says, well, I'm going to judge the world. He sends a flood. But there's one man and his family who have faith in him. And God saves them in a boat. That's Noah. Okay? So all is not lost. And then one of Noah's descendants, a guy called He starts out Abraham, then he's Abraham. There's all this name-changing going on. God gives these amazing promises to Abraham. Right? He says, you, Abraham, I'm going to turn you into a people, a nation, a group of people for me. And you're going to enjoy my blessing. And you're going to live in a special place that I'm going to give you. Okay? So God's people are going to be in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. And these promises are passed down, like father, son, there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then it goes to Judah. But his brother, Joseph, and there's a whole thing with a fancy coat, and he, gets to, he goes to prison for a long time, um, but then he ends up prime minister of Egypt. And God's people are saved from this terrible famine, and they, they're, they're, there's actually loads of them. They grow in Egypt. There's loads and loads and thousands and thousands of them. And so we start to see, yeah, look, God's people. God's turning Abraham into a great nation, but how does it go in Egypt? That's not a rhetorical question. How does it go in Egypt? Not not well. No, they end up slaves, don't they? They're terrible. And then the people of God cry out, help us. That's that's you. Yeah, because they're slaves and it's rubbish. And so God raises up Moses. People were very nice about my pictures last time, so I brought one of them back. Um, There's Moses. You can just go there. Okay. God raises up Moses, and he does these amazing miracles to rescue his people out of Egypt. And there's blood and darkness and death and frogs. And his people come out through the Red Sea. Literally, a sea opens up, and they walk through on dry ground. And the Egyptians have changed their mind by then. And they try and chase them. I'm going to kill you. And then God saves his people. Absolutely, he saves his people from those who are trying to kill them. And they are released. They can worship God in the desert. And Miriam sings a song. It's all good. And then wonderfully, out there in the desert, God gives his people his laws. And he gives them this tent. It's called a tabernacle, which actually I've, I've got here. Oh, Paula, could you help me? Ta-da! It's the tabernacle. It's a tent where God is with his people. But Paula, it's right now in the midst of his people. So can you? there's a gap 
I made a gap. So we're going to have the tabernacle. God is in the middle of his people, okay, right there in amongst them. <laughs> um, God's promises to Abraham are really taking shape now. Okay, his plan to save the world is motoring along. God's people are now a people and they're enjoying his blessing. And there are hiccups. There's a whole thing around the time that they're given the tent with a golden cow. I didn't have a golden cow, so we've got an orange donkey. Um, but God, hit, God forgives his people for the whole orange donkey incident. Okay? And he's leading his people through the desert. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. God's people, with God's blessing. And then in the first 10 chapters of number, Numbers, we see them all arranged and poised to go into the land. There's actually a great big list at the beginning of Numbers. I've replicated it exactly here. Here we go. Uh, Ta-da! Numbers chapters 1 to 10, all of God's people ordered around God at the center of their lives, these are all the men, aged 20 plus. They're about to fight. And do you know where they are? They're right on the edge. They're right on the edge of the promised land, ready to take hold of everything God has promised them that he's going to give them. God's people, enjoying God's blessing, are about to be in God's land. And so we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13. Um, if you're older and you can grab a Bible, and by older I mean if you can read, okay, so not, you don't have to be like 30 or something. Um, if you're older, there are actually some by the door. If you, if you sort of forgot yours this morning or thought it might all be on the screen, um, you can just nip and grab one or someone will help you out. Find Numbers chapter 13. And while you're finding that, let me read the first couple of verses. Numbers 13. Verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each tribe, send one of its leaders. Oh, leaders, we've, we've had this before. So I think I've asked some of the leaders of our church to stand up. Have we got any vicars? And any, any vicars or like, yeah. oh, there's one. Yeah, yeah, go on, stand up, you guys. A church warden, maybe a church warden? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. So this is like the usual suspects, we think, leaders. But no, if you look in Numbers chapter 13, this is not the same list. You guys sit down. We don't want the usual leaders. They're too old. We, we need some young leaders. There's like a 250-mile danger trip going to happen in enemy territory. So we need some young leaders. Have we got any trainees? Can I, oh, there's one. Great. Can I have you? you? You actually come up to the front, guys. Yeah, yeah. And they, I even brought some blankets down, Dan, so you can get like full in character. Okay, guys. Um, our trainees, our spy leaders, are going to go off on a very dangerous mission, okay? Um, they are, they're just, they, you look exactly like you would have in Old Testament times. Oh my goodness, it's like we're there. What are they up to? Let's find out what they're up to. Moses says to them, verse 18, if you're reading along, uh, see what the land is like. Go in and see what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? That means is it good for growing things in? Or is it rubbish? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. They're going in to check out what the land is like, especially how good it is for farming, because they love that. Okay. Off you go, guys. Canaan is through there. Go on. Go find out what Canaan's like. Paula, it takes them 40 days. Have we got that long? No, we'll go with 40 seconds instead. Brilliant. Okay, can you go and bring them back, Paula? Actually, that'd be really handy. Because 
they're off investigating for us, which is kind of them. Um, let's see if they can bring anything with them. Oh, wow! Oh, my goodness! This is, I mean, look at those! The land, guys, the land is so fruitful. They bring back one cluster of grapes. It is so big, it takes two of them to carry it. I mean, how good is that? And this, this is not like a Lidl or an Aldi land. This is a Wheatrose or a John Lewis or a Marks and Spencer's land. And if you don't believe me, look at what else they bring back. Figs and pomegranates. Okay? <laughs> this, this is a good land. It is fruitful and rich. So let's hear what the land was like from the spy... Yes, I know! Yes. Let's hear what the land was like from the spy leaders. They come back and they say... You ready, guys? They say, we went to the land! flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful. The people who live there are very powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. The cities are fortified and very large. And there are even the descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and all along the Jordan. <laughs> and you all, you're getting worried. Come have some worried noises. Okay, but then, then up steps Caleb. Here's Caleb. And Caleb says, shush. <laughs> we should go in and take the land. We should go in and take the land. We can certainly do it. We can and so Caleb is encouraging the people to have faith in God, to have faith in God's promises. But the other guys who'd gone up with Caleb, they said, we can't attack those people. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. They're stronger than we are. And these guys spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. That's not just focusing on the things that were difficult. They're now lying. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people were of a great size. All the people were of a great size. Even bigger than Dan Allen. <laughs> they get carried away. They say, we saw the Nephilim there. They're like, they're like giants. Yeah, that's what everyone in Israel thought when they heard about the Nephilim and the land's going to devour us. <laughs> Guess what else they said? We seemed like grasshoppers to them. We seemed like grasshoppers to them. I reckon you'd win a fight with a grasshopper, wouldn't you? Probably. Some of you are not so sure. You would. And that's how it seemed to them. God's people are right on the very edge of the promised land. They've seen everything that God has done for his people, all the miracles he did to rescue them from Egypt, all of God's faithfulness all over the years, and these guys are saying, nope, can't be done. And there's a question then, isn't there? Will the people of Israel believe what God has said about the land, that it is good, that it is flowing with milk and honey? Or will they believe 
what these spy leaders have said about the land. So do you know what you do all night, according to chapter 14, verse 1? You weep aloud. Go on, weep aloud. <laughs> but that doesn't answer our question, what, what are you going to do? Verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, this is your turn to copy after me now, if only we died in Egypt, if only we died in Egypt. or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord killing us? Our wives and kids are going to be captured. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, so turn and face one another, and you say, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God's people are rejecting God's saving plan, and they are rejecting God's saving leader. And this was written down for us today as a warning. Today, if we hear his voice, we're not to harden our hearts like these guys did. Hebrews chapter 3, which we actually read quite recently, didn't we, in church, was talking about these very chapters, about these exact events, and it says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's a warning to us. Don't reject God's saving plan. Don't reject God's saving person. This is a huge tragedy. It's a massive disappointment. They were right on the brink, but sin is so deceitful. And look, before we pause and confess our sin to God, I want to just put a thought out there for you, depending on what age you are. Children, this is not, so by children I probably mean junior school or below, this is not just for your grown-ups. This is not a story about grown-ups, by a grown-up, for grown-ups. Why do you think you have to obey your parents? It's not because they always get it right. Newsflash, they don't. I don't. You don't, you don't obey your parents because they always get it right. You obey your parents so that you can learn to obey God. It is so you learn to trust what God says and what God is like. You practice faith in God by being obedient to your parents. And teenagers, many of you are sort of past that kind of, you know, you generally have a good relationship. You probably don't burn the house down that much. Um, let me ask you, you've had, many of you have had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home you know, church groups, and your parents pray with you and read the Bible, and church, and Christian unions, and all that stuff. What is your heart like? Is the gospel precious to you? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Or do you look at your non-Christian mates and think, oh, actually, I wish my life was like that? Do you wish you had been born and raised and stayed in slavery in Egypt? Or if you're a bit older, which is anyone up... <laughs> Are you in danger of assuming you've traveled so far you couldn't possibly go wrong now? So had lots of these guys. And yet they still rejected his promises. This is written down for us as a warning. Thanks, guys. Just come and grab a seat at the front here. You can pop the grapes on the floor. Um, Paula is going to come up and lead us in a confession. 
Okay. Part two, ready? Ready, kids? At least six of you are ready. It's very exciting. <clears throat> it's a terrible tragedy, isn't it, what we just read? It's really sad. And it's a terrible warning to us not to reject God's saving plan, not to reject God's saving person, but it is also, what we're reading, is a call to God's people. It's showing us the right way. It's saying, put your faith in God's saving plan. Put your faith in God's saving person. So let's see what happened now that the people have rejected God. Um, Moses and Aaron, they throw themselves on the floor. Um, don't worry, we won't, <laughs> we'll make him do that. Um, and Caleb, you have to, don't worry, you don't have to tear your clothes. But Caleb tore his clothes. It's like a way of saying, I'm really sad about what's happening. And Caleb and his pal Joshua, they stand up and they plead. Do you know what pleading is? Pleading is like they're desperate. They're really desperate. They plead with the people and they say, the land we part, this is verse 7, in case you're interested, chapter 14, verse 7. The land we passed through and explored is really good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. It's so good. Look at the grapes. What God has said is true, Caleb and Joshua say. What God has promised is good, Caleb and Joshua say. Don't rebel against the Lord, please. Don't be afraid about the people in the land. We'll devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. It's not the land that's going to devour the people. Caleb and Joshua say, we're going to devour them. God's with us. But do you know what the people decide? Have a guess. The people decide to stone Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua. That means they're going to throw rocks at them until they're dead. But God steps in. Verse 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning them, but then the glory of the Lord appeared. Oh! Can you see the smoke? I thought about a pillar of fire, but that was a bit dangerous. And actually, it doesn't say whether it was smoke or fire. But the Lord appeared at the tent. That's right in the middle. I couldn't get the smoke machine in the middle of the room. Um, the Lord intervenes. Just as it was about to go really badly wrong for Moses and the other leaders, God appears and he says, verse 11... How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of everything I've done for them? The people have treated God with contempt, kids. That means like they're treating him like he's something yucky. You know, that you've stepped in with your shoe. Yeah? Ugh, disgusting. Get rid of it. That's how they're treating God. And he says... I'm going to destroy these people with a plague. I'm going to start again with you, Moses. Paula, would you mind being Moses very quickly? So Paula can just be Moses. And I've got my... Ah, oh, here we go. Destroy with a plague. Here we go. Okay. So Moses... Uh, well, actually, God is saying, he's like, get behind me, Moses. I'm going to get these people. But do you know what Moses does? You don't get behind me. You get... You come... Moses stands here. Moses stands between God and the people. And it's not that Moses is more loving than God. This is the role that God has called Moses to. 
You can sit down, Paula, thanks. <laughs> I won't actually shoot you, don't worry. Um, listen, listen to what Moses' concern is. This is verse 13 through 16. He says, the Egyptians, let's, uh, Egypt can be that way. The Egyptians, they'll hear about it, God. And they're going to tell the people in Can- Canaan's through there, as we know, in the kitchen. Um, the people in Canaan, they'll hear about it too. And what will they think? The nations have heard all about this, and they heard you were with them. But then, verse 16, they'll think, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them, so he killed them in the wilderness. If the people die, what will the whole world think? They'll think God's promises can't be trusted. They'll think God is not strong enough to save his people. So Moses goes on, he says, God, please show us that you are like what you have said you are like. Verse 18, he reminds God of what God has said. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses pleads, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you've pardoned them. You know, like with the orange donkey. Just as you've pardoned them in the past. Moses steps in and stands between God and the people because he knows what God is like. Because he knows what is at stake. He's not saying forgive them because they deserve it. They don't deserve it. He's not saying, children, well, you know, you know God, you could punish them, but actually, do you know, they've had a long day at school. They're very tired. He's not saying, well, you know, God, it's not really their fault. You know, it's an age and stage thing, hormones, puberty, you know, they're like that. It's not really their fault. He's not saying, well, you've had a long, stressful week at work, God, you know, and you know what Colin in HR is like. It's really difficult. Don't blame that. He's not saying they're not guilty. He's saying, God, please forgive these people because of what you are like, because of your promises. The people have rejected God. They have rejected Moses as their leader. They're about to stone him to death. And yet Moses stands between them and God and asks for God to show them mercy. So that's God's appointed savior standing in the face of God's judgment, seeking mercy for the guilty people who are all set to kill him. Does that remind you of anyone? Kids, that means Jesus. Your parents got that, just in case it was helpful. How does God respond? Verse 20, if you're reading along. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, which he does, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, which it does, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. If you hear God's saving plan, if you see God's saving person, and then you treat them like they're rubbish, like they're something gross that you stepped in, then you won't make it to the promised land. You won't be God's forgiven friend forever. And so this is very, very important. Young or old or in the middle. What does treating God with contempt look like? The opposite is what Caleb does. Okay, So if you're reading along, you can see in verse 24, Caleb believes what God has said, follows him with all his heart. He trusts what God has said about the land and he's going to follow the leader that God has appointed. 
but not the other spies and not the people. God says about them, I'm going to do to you exactly what you said. They're told to head back to Egypt, which is where they thought they would be better off. They're going to die in the wilderness, which is what they had said would be better. Their children, they were worried about dying in Canaan, they're going to be the only ones who end up there. Everyone on this list, which was supposed to be this glorious, wonderful list, everyone on this list, except for Joshua and Caleb, is going to die in the wilderness. The spy leaders, you guys, they die right away. And the other people are going to die over the next 40 years in the wilderness. And how do we know they were treating God with contempt? You know, you might think, oh, but what if they said sorry? Well, let's see how it goes. Verse 39. Moses and Aaron report this to the Israelites, and you all mourn bitterly. You don't need to do that. Do you want to mourn bitterly? Go on, mourn bitterly. Uh. Right, but are you actually sorry? Let's find out. What do they do? Verse 40. Early the next morning... They set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord has promised. Surely we have sinned. What? God just told them to go back the other way. He's been telling them for ages to go in, and they won't do it. And the very second he says, go back the other way, what are they saying? Oh, we'll do it now. We're sorry, God. Moses says, don't do it. God isn't with you. I'm not going with you. The ark won't go with you. But they ignore everything God has said and everything Moses has said again. Yes, it's exactly right. And they are defeated thoroughly. Look, really being sorry is not just saying the word sorry. It's not throwing a sorry over the shoulder as you leave the room. Really being sorry is a whole change of your heart and mind and life. Turning to God's and away from sin. Let me remind you again of those words from Hebrews. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Put your faith in God's gospel promises. Children, teenagers, grown-ups, put your faith in Jesus. He is the one who died to save us. He suffered God's judgment to rescue God's guilty people He is the one who stood between us and God. And by dying, saved our lives. Children, obeying your parents is not a hardship. It's not rubbish. It's learning. It's practicing to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's more wonderful and more valuable than all the computer games and all the chocolate and all the whatever else you're into in the world. And teenagers, you know, this blessing, if you have... If you've just heard the gospel, then that's wonderful. But if you've heard it for 15 years, that's brilliant. And following Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, is the only way that you don't waste your life. It is the only way you have lasting significance and do something that really matters. Don't get FOMO for Egypt. Put your faith in Jesus. Grown-ups, it's the same, isn't it? You won't be satisfied by a bigger home. You won't be satisfied by a promotion at work or (laughs) more rounds of golf with Pete Scammon like you were offered last week. Yeah, that won't satisfy you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, can I encourage my older brothers and sisters in Christ, those who God's word tells me I'm to treat as parents in the faith. 
this passage would call you, keep on going. Keep pursuing Christ. Don't get all the way to the very edge of the land and then turn back. You will be with your Savior and he will embrace you and you will be home and you will be free at last. Keep going, brothers and sisters. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Uh, We're going to sing now. Um, It's a way of responding to what we've heard. We're going to sing, Now Why This Sin and Unbelief. Please stand.